Welcome. You are listening to a podcast by Tohu Magazine, an online art magazine published in three languages, Hebrew, Arabic, and English. Please enjoy this recording, and if you'd like to know more about our magazine, give us a visit at tohumagazine.com. Hello to all Tohu readers and listeners. My name is David Dufshani, and today I'm with Hakim Bishara, a Palestinian artist, writer, and curator based in New York City. Hakim is a staff writer for the online arts magazine Hyperallergic and co-director of the Brooklyn artist-run gallery Soloway. Together we met and discussed about art writing in New York and on his practice as an artist and curator. Hakim, you moved to Brooklyn four years ago. Um, could you describe your um, professional um, experience before coming here and coming here? Yeah. Well, I started as a journalist, a young journalist in Jerusalem, in one of the local uh, newspapers in there. And then um, I worked above to work in a documentary film, and from there to fiction film, script writing, mm-hmm. and from there to more artistic projects, visual arts. And then I moved to New York to um, studying an MFA program at the School of Visual Arts. Okay. Uh, it's quite a unique program uh, in art writing or writing about art. And that was a three-year program. And it shifted my writing to writing um, mostly about art now. So it's criticism, but not only that, it can also be essayic, it can be like an open forum, it can involve fiction, it can involve uh, storytelling. And um, I was lucky to, to be part of Soloway, which is an artist-run space. It's run by five artists, and I'm one of them. Um, it's quite a, cuni- a unique uh, gallery that's been around in Brooklyn, Williamsburg, the Williamsburg neighborhood in, in Brooklyn since 2011. And we sustain it all by, our, by ourselves. Um, using our own money and we give emerging artists a chance um, at, a, at a solo exhibition people would think um, that deserve that um, that kind of exposure yes of course we help them do that without the pressures of the art market yes which is very um, um, felt in New York I'm for me it's my first time here and uh, I've only seen like a small um, glimpse, like very quick view of um, going in Midtown and it seems like every gallery is like a mini museum but mostly you really feel the big pressure of uh, the economical system and also um, having seen the Whitney Biennial yesterday it felt like although most of the works were very joyful and with a certain political context it really felt like the, um, a very commercial uh, hand is um, mm-hmm. driven most of the uh, of the stuff so I'm curious to see what will come yeah. in the next days and I have some plans yeah. to see but it's also um, interesting for me to see some places that um, as Soloway which are more personal and intimate and also um, allow um, different kinds of um, artists um, so the gallery already existed when you came, you joined? Yes, I joined uh, three years ago. Okay. But I know down what you said uh, about galleries turning into museum. You have no idea how, how right this is. 
um, especially with the expansion of galleries that are already big in New York, like Pace Gallery, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, going to move to a huge building that it's going to be equal in size to the building of the new museum in New York. So we're talking about a commercial gallery, right? Yes. That it's not only going to function as a museum in its content and its curatorial approach, it's also going to look like a museum and it's going to be in the size of a of museum. museum. And it's not the only one. Um, Marlboro Gallery is also working on an expansion like that. So there's a certain, there's a very interesting shift there and in how commercial galleries are turning into um, museums. Amongst other magazines, you also write for um, Hyperallergic. Hyperallergic magazine, yeah. Which is a magazine that I personally follow and enjoy reading and uh, find very interesting. Um, and I was curious of uh, hearing how you, um, first how you got um, to write for the magazine and um, Maybe you can give a more personal in the, um, and like an inside view of the magazine that, um, from what I know, started um, in Brooklyn, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it started in Williamsburg, and Brooklyn. And yeah. became um, qu quite known, or even very known. Yes. So it started as an art blog in, in uh, Williamsburg, uh, Brooklyn. Williamsburg has had a, a very big uh, art scene in the 80s. There's another uh, famous um, art publication that started here. It's called the Brooklyn Rail. <coughs> um, Hyperallergic is unique in the scene of art magazines in New York because it has a very, it has a fearless political anti-colonial uh, stance and anti-commercial stance. And many of the art publications are connected to galleries and they advertise galleries and they're a bit beholden financially to galleries yes. which kind of inhibits uh, the kind of criticism they can deliver but Hyperallergic is um, unique in not being uh, a part of that scene so it's a place for um, good political commentary that you can be sure um, is not beholden to other, you know, financial mm. interests that can limit its contact or control its message. And what, what do, do you have a specific um, things you write about, or is it open? You, um, um, how does it work for you, the writing for? Well, right now, I'm a staff writer. I'm an in-house writer. After years of uh, freelancing for them as well as other magazines. Um, so the, the content uh, varies, but Hyperallergic, for instance, was one of the, um, and there was, still is, a huge crisis um, um, in regard to the funding resources of museums in New York, especially lately, um, the Whitney Museum. Uh, since it was revealed by Hyperallergic that the vice chair of the museum is also the owner of a weapons or ammunition uh, company, a crowd control ammunition company okay. called Safari Land, which provides tear gas and rubber bullets to several countries that use them to squash um, civilian protests in those countries. Uh, 
uh, countries and it's a long list of countries and it includes um, Palestine and Gaza so the rubber bullets and the tear gas that this country supplies was used by the Israeli army in the la in the latest uh, great march of return in Gaza okay so the presence of this guy at the board of trustees of the museum has sparked large protest and um, I've been covering that um, uh, during the past uh, this past year since activists uh, from a group called decolonize this place they announced nine weeks of uh, art and action where they would go every week to the museum and protest in demand of removing uh, Mr. Warren Candace, who is the vice chair, the disputed vice chair from the board of the museum. That hasn't happened yet, but uh, Hyperallergic was there to report on it more than any other publication. Okay. So, so the, the issues that I cover tend to be in that intersection between art and politics, art and social issues, and the social accountability of um, culture organizations. And there's a huge uh, and a very large tradition of uh, political actions and also political writings in the United States, I think, which is different, but also um, um, very large, maybe, Surely more than Israel, that's, uh, I think, not difficult, but even compared to many parts in Europe. Um, how do you feel like moving here and compared mm -hmm. to Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, where you also worked as mm -hmm. a journalist, um, your experience as a writer and uh, the political engagement of people? Because it yeah. seems like here everything is really bipolar. You either have the, like, things as you said like this and the director extreme power and maybe also connected yeah. to um yeah. reduce the world evil yeah and and also actions against yeah and, uh, it's a funny it's a funny um i moved to the u.s um shortly before a year before donald trump was elected and i moved to the u.s um under the impression that especially in New York, the art world shies away from political issues, right? I mean, they don't deal with politics. They stay away from that. Maybe they deal with identity politics and, mm -hmm. and all of those things, but they don't directly uh, do political art. It wasn't a big thing until Trump got elected. I mean, the entire country got politicized and people are more engaged and in, in political discourse and that included the art world but I distinctly remember that moment when uh, Trump won against everyone's you know expectations yes. because everyone was in a state of shock and I remember feeling how familiar that feeling was from living in Israel and every time that Netanyahu won yeah. I mean when Netanyahu first won against uh, Paris, uh, Shimon Paris back in the day that was a shock for everyone, right? And every time he yes. got re-elected, yes. there was that a mix of... Um, perhaps it wasn't surprising or shocking, but it was a huge um, disappointment, like a huge downer on everyone from the center-left, right? Like, again, it's happening. And that was... So I was one of those who weren't surprised 
who could see Trump winning, while others refused to believe that could possibly happen, right? And the political awakening of people after that, with the women march, all the uh, you know political engagement of people, also in the art world, that was also something that felt familiar from my experience in uh, living in Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. So I t- I tapped right into that, right? I mean, um, I came to the U.S. Under Did you came? You said that you came knowing or feeling that um, the the art world won't be political here did as political as yeah I was uh, sort of escaping but did you, you know. want to escape yes I was escaping all that um, you know writing about the conflict and 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 um, I was um, enchanted with the idea of writing about art you know writing about color and composition yes. and and abstract things and and hoping that that would remove me from you know occupation and, and colonization and all those um, political issues that I've been writing about before but I got sucked right back into that uh, those topics again yes. here because um, it's impossible not to yes I can uh, relate to that from my own experience um, living abroad that wanting to escape the things kind of catch up to you and I think there's no escape. There's first of all, there's no escape, and and we're also living maybe a moment where we kind of get um, delusionized by the idea of what you just said, art as colors or art like this modernist idea of objectivity, of seeing something which is a sublime that everybody can relate to. Yeah, we're like a bit in the, the past destiny in the past years, kind of. Uh, reviewing this idea and um, going deep into the history and checking the values all over again and um, the show just the show is still on it just ended I think what's now in Soloway yeah this is the last day of a show by Manal Abu Shaheen who is a Lebanese American photographer who did a project in Beirut about um, well, it's about the transformation of uh, post-war midtown Beirut and how it's being taken over by um, real estate tycoons and it's ex- expressed by um, those huge colossal um, advertising uh, billboards that reimagine uh, the future of the city so it's a mix between uh, how global advertising companies are trying to transform the the the, the idea or the concept of uh, what uh, downtown Beirut should look like um, it's a process that happens everywhere but it's interesting to see it and for me personally to, to work with a Lebanese artist you so know, he's based in Beirut she's she is based in here okay. in New York but she was born in Beirut and access to an artist like that is impossible for me if mm. I would have stayed in, yes. in Israel, of course. So, so that's part of the freedom you get in uh, living in New York, being exposed to all those different people from different places. It's a truly cosmopolitan city. And it's very enriching and stimulating. It comes at a price because it comes with a, with a kind of... Um, 
everything you, you, they tell you about New York City, about the pace of the city and the pressure mm -hmm. to, to make it and yes. to work hard is true. Even when you don't have uh, an immediate task, you sit and you think, I have to do something, I have okay. to do something, right? The, pray, the pace is really faster than anywhere else. And, um, and the, there aren't many safety networks if you fail. Um, and still, it's a very stimulating city. And, and you have the best, uh, the level of quality of everything here. <clears throat> art, visual art, music, performance, also food, um, and every every kind of culture you can consume is just the highest level. Uh, you can find everything uh, flows to New York City, so it's it's uh, it's a privilege to be close to that. And how do you um, operate as a, as a, a rather small gallery and a collaborative gallery in this? Um, in this landscape, um, not only of New York, but also of the neighborhood or the community that lives here. And yeah, we're, we're kind of off the grid from where all the galleries, I mean, you have those uh, areas where galleries are concentrated in Manhattan and Chelsea, for instance, or the Lower East Side, mm -hmm. and many galleries are moving to Chinatown, uh, that area. And we're here, um, in uh, in uh, South Williamsburg, but m several other gal galleries are popping up okay. in the neighborhood. So we have a lot of people who wouldn't normally go to Chelsea or the Lower East Side Cross. to consume art, crossing by, walking by, and just walking in and being exposed to art. And since uh, selling uh, and marketing are not our, our mm -hmm. primary mm -hmm. um, goals, so we're fine uh, being here. It's hard, I mean, it's hard to sustain a gallery in New York City because rent is expensive, operation costs mm -hmm. are expensive, but it's, um, it's a labor of love for us, so we keep it yes. because... And the gallery uh, has its own community and following, so we have the support of a community of artists in, in Brooklyn. We had uh, more than 60 shows already. Okay, that's a lot. Group and solo shows. Um, Exhibitions here have been reviewed by uh, all the prestigious and, and prominent um, newspapers and art magazines in New York City. So the gallery has um, has a history and and has a name and it's part of a community. Um, would you like to talk about a specific project that was uh, shown? Previously in the gallery, or maybe something that's coming next. Um, you showed me the uh, theater of operations that was on. Um, well, that's a that's a personal year. project. Yeah, that was in October 2017. That's a project I uh, did with artist Hagar Ophir, who's now based in Berlin, or has been in the past few years. And together we came upon a few years ago. Hagar was doing research in the Zionist archives in Jerusalem for a different project and she stumbled upon this um, invitation to an exhibition in the Jewish, the Betzalel Jewish National Museum in Jerusalem, this is how it was okay. called, mm -hmm. in 1943. And you know, 1943, 
it was December 1943 the Holocaust was as it uh, at its uh, worst uh, st stages in uh, in uh, Europe and um, it was under mandatory Palestine the British mandate of Palestine and this was an exchange between Lebanese artists from Beirut and Jewish Palestinian artists who are living in, in, in Jerusalem and uh, the invitation was to an exhibition called Modern Art uh, of Lebanon oh, wow. and it was the work of nine Lebanese artists some of them are French expats because Lebanon was under the rule of um, the French mandatory yes the free French army France Libre Charles de Gaulle and uh, and they the the, the French have uh, sponsored the exhibition and uh, you know but and financially and also organized the curator was a French expat living in Beirut an artist called um, George, uh, never mind, I, I lost his name now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it was a successful show, and was uh, the the invitation itself was was moving, was touching because it said, um, unfortunately, I'm paraphrasing. Unfortunately, Paris is no longer the capital of European art, but we um, we take inspirations, uh, inspiration from our neighbors in Beirut and uh, we're very excited and pleased to show their work. So the idea was that um, first you have those Lebanese artists showing in uh, the Jewish Museum in Jerusalem and the next year... They were le le French Lebanese or Lebanese? No, the, most of them were Lebanese, real, you know, Arab Lebanese okay. artists who most of them became the fathers of uh, modern modern Lebanese art later on the next year uh, Jewish artists from from Jerusalem were supposed to show their work at the Beirut National Museum now that part never happened the second part of the exchange okay. and what was curious about the show we only found the catalog it's a pictureless catalog and that invitation and we started a research around that and we found that there's absolutely almost no mention of this exhibition in any of um, uh, the history books or the art history books in Israel it's been completely erased from memory and um, the Histadrut, the Jewish, uh, the global, the international Jewish organization uh, has bought two works from that exhibition which were stored in the Israel Museum still exist there until today. Oh, well. The curator's name is George Sear, by the way, come back to me now. <laughs> and one of his works was bought and stored in the Israel Museum. The other one is by uh, also a famous Lebanese artist. And the, Jew the Israel Museum itself didn't know it had those works. They've been sitting there for 73 years. And it turns out that the work by the Lebanese artist the records of the, the register of that work was changed from Lebanese to French artist. So there, there, it's as if there was intentional erasure of that exhibition from memory. So our project, me and Hagar, was reimagining that exhibition because we had so many gaps in the archive 
and um, we did our research and archives in Jerusalem and in Paris and in Beirut together pieces of a puzzle but the exhibition itself we had to reimagine it into a new exhibition and it was on view and in, uh, in a gallery in Bergen Norway in 2017 yes. so what did you show exactly did you try to reproduce some of the of the works or create new works we kind of work on a self sort of a meta-narrative yeah fake identity since only two works from that exhibition survived or were easy to find the others was scattered either, either lost or in the hands of private collectors in Lebanon and which of course we don't have access to uh, because we're both um, Israeli citizens yes. so yeah we reimagined some of the works reproduced uh, some of um, wor wor some of the works by those artists and but the best way to approach the subject we found was to reimagine the whole story of the show in a, in the in the form of a stage play so it was a theatrical show in three acts and it looks like a theater stage okay and we found um, during our research scenes and stories um, as recorded by um, people who are characters and in, in, in the people who are behind the story of this exhibition we found their diaries and so on so we restaged uh, scenes from that period so you walk out well the interesting part is that among the artists that participated in that exhibition they were all men who became famous artists in Lebanon there was one mysterious figure and she was a female artist a woman artist called that went by the initials Madame MS and uh, she had only two paintings one of flowers and one of a cactus and everyone <laughs> who comes uh, from that region knows the symbolism of a cactus yes right? of course is a national a symbol for the Palestinians and then kind of uh, uh, brings to mind the works of uh, Abu Shakra yeah yeah and then the Zionism adopted it also as as a symbol for the new Jew though yes the new Jew that takes uh, charge um, of their own faith fate um, we never find her works and after two years of research and we turned every stone we looked at almost every archive in Jerusalem Lebanon here we couldn't find mm -hmm. any information about her and at the time in, in one of the letters of the director of the Jewish uh, Museum in Jerusalem during one of his visits to Lebanon because the borders were opened by back then and that's part of the reason why we wanted to reimagine that period. It's a desire to reimagine a period without borders between yes. those two countries. Um, and there was some kind of special relationship there between uh, the Jewish community uh, in Palestine with Lebanon. And Lebanon itself had a large Jewish community, uh, which only grew interestingly after 48 instead of you know okay this idea I knew that there was a huge community yeah um, you had immigrants from from Greece and other Arab countries uh, immigrating to Lebanon after 48 instead of 
to Israel. It was quite an interesting story. He mentions there that he was at a visit of, of a house of um, a collector in Lebanon and he found the book, the D book hmm. by Ansky. Mm -hmm. The, the, the uh, 19th century Yiddish play, the D book. And um, well, I love that play, and it, it inspired us to to exhume or conjure up in a sort of a seance the image of Madame MS, this <laughs> mysterious figure. So you have a seance table in the exhibition, and you hear her voice. So we had to reimagine her, but the best way okay. to imagine her was by treating the archive as a site for seance. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because things go, gets lo get lost in the archive and, and die, and, and you have to, um, part of the work of every historian or part of an artistic research is to reimagine things. And uh, the process, uh, we approach it as, as a process of seance. And, uh, so we did, there are many layers to this. And we wrote a play, so there's a play that's supposed to come out telling the story of this okay. exhibition, half imagined and half from the archive. So it kind of functioned as a, a stage yes. that was um, activated by um, objects and performer as well? And, and the visitor. Uh, parts of that play uh, were transformed into sound installations so you hear the voices of characters and you hear um, recorded sounds from areas that are relevant to the story sounds from the um, the port of Beirut and sounds from Jerusalem that we recorded and um, the exhibition happened in an old building that uh, still functions as a gallery it's the Betzalel building in, in West um, Jerusalem now. Okay, the old Betzalel. The old Betzalel okay. building. Which yeah, where well the artist house is now. Yes, which, so we recorded uh, some sound, we did some sound work there. So you are brought into that gallery now. But the show is activated by uh, the viewer too because we installed this lighting system that operates as, as a stage lighting and you're led between one scene to another in those three acts by uh, lights that go up and down. You know how in a mm -hmm. theater stage yes. you have, it's blacked out and then it's the lights are on and then they're blacked out again um, between in intermissions between scenes and, and acts. So this is how the show looks. Wow. Um. So it kind of brings together all of the parts of your um, practice, uh, yeah. of your practice. There's the writing and uh, the artistic practice, and in a way also a curatorial uh, approach, which is yeah. uh, very um, conceptual. And what's coming next in uh, Solo Way, or is it? Uh, right now we have a summer break, and then uh, we have a whole program for next year, six uh, new exhibitions. Uh, it's going to be a roster of, um, of artists who are both emerging and established and both from here, American artists and both international artists from Iran and Turkey. The program will resume in September.
and uh, will you be the curator of uh, the shows or yeah we curate uh, how does the curating work collaboratively um, usually each member curates two shows a year okay so um, I'm, uh, yeah I'll be bringing uh, two artists uh, more international artists um, for next year <coughs> sounds great we'll um, keep updated on that um, sounds really exciting um, is there anything else you want to share with uh, comes up like a specific issue or something uh, well that you want to bring on the table either um, politically or uh, um, culturally or artistically well I do a lot of writing now uh, and um, well a major impression that I have as someone as a, as, a, as a foreigner living here that and I guess many others who have moved to New York would identify with this you think you know America or the United States because their culture their you know television music and Mm -hmm. popular culture so ubiquitous um, and it's um, you grow up with it but um, when you get here you understand that um, there are so many unique uh, characteristics and issues um, retaining to this place that you don't know so I'm still in the process of discovery and learning about this mm -hmm. country and that shows uh, in my writing too um, so it comes with a, uh, with a great amount of uh, curiosity about this place um, and the art scene and uh, the art world here so just follow okay uh, Hyper <laughs> <laughs> we will uh, it's funny that you said because um, um, seeing the show that's on now with the photos of Beirut um, Many of the photos um, have writings in English, so I was in at first I kind of felt a bit confused um, whether the photos were taken somewhere here in Williamsburg mm. or um, back in Beirut. I have seen some photos of Beirut before mm. in 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 other exhibitions, and um, I also had the, the luck of um, having some Lebanese artists as friends when I was in Paris, mm. and it. Uh, but I never yeah. met. I never noticed this aspect of uh, um, Americanization yeah. of Beirut, which you kind of feel. Or more like, uh, uh, yeah. And kind of relates to what you just said about having yeah. the impression you know a place and, yeah. um, and not knowing it. Yeah. So. Uh, well, we, when you see the images, the backdrop of those uh, streets of Beirut and, and neighborhoods and outskirts of the city, they can look like they came from East Jerusalem or, or, or anywhere in the Middle East you have those uh, you know dense poor neighborhoods in the back and so on and the, uh, the contrast that those um, images depict is how those Western ideals of luxury and uh, beauty are being imported into the city to transform it yes um, so thank you very much, Hakim, for your time. Thank you. Um, 
really encourage everybody to follow um, Soloway's uh, um, program and yeah. also your writing on hyperallergic. Mm -hmm. And thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Tohu Magazine. To discover more textual and visual content published by Tohu in Hebrew, Arabic and English, please go to tohumagazine.com.